welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to BAM Weekly. That's Boris and Matt Weekly, the show where we talk all things sports, all things wrestling. We're your hosts. I'm Boris. And as always, I am joined by Matt. Bonjour! How's everybody doing out there? We hope you're doing well. Boris, I'm faxed up. I'm ready to uh, start getting back on that Tinder grind, going to stand-up comedy shows, maybe wrestling shows here, and uh, no doubt picking up all kinds of germs because the winter is coming. But that's fine. You know, got to build the immune systems back up, buddy. Exactly. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's awesome. Happy to hear that you're fully faxed, you're ready to go, and that the the shot didn't uh, knock you out. But on this week's show, we have tons to talk about. We have a lot of sports. We're going to be talking about World Cup qualifiers. We're going to focus on CONCACAF because we live in Canada, and Canada is kicking ass right now. We're going to be talking about the NFL. We're going to be talking about the NHL. We're going to be talking about some boxing and maybe the best fight that we've seen in years. Then, on the wrestling side, we're going to be talking Ring of Honor, as we always do. And then we're going to be touching on some GCW, MLW, Impact. And we have tons of New Japan Pro Wrestling, NJPW, G1 Climax, G1 31 Climax, Tons of shows to review. I believe we're reviewing five shows, Matt. Yeah, five shows worth of matches going through them all quickly. Uh, yeah, man, we can't dilly-dally too, too much here. But off the hop, Boris, uh, how are you doing, big homie? Every day I am doing so much better from a week ago. Honestly, a week ago, I was ready to to destroy everyone and everything near me. Um, <laughs> I was just really sick. Like it's And, and when I get a cold... No matter how, like, um, soft the cold is, I always end up with a chest infection or chest something, and that's what happened. I had the nastiest cough, not COVID, got the negative result, um, you know, and that was awesome. But it was just, like, a really, really rough, like, six days or so. But every day I'm feeling a little better. My chest still feels a little heavy, but I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy. Work is going great podcasting is going great everything is going great now matt before we move on before i ask you how everything is going i do want to welcome everybody because this week bam is on the free snme feed so if you haven't listened to bam before well this show is kind of it's a little different we talk sports you know, I, I think a lot of people who watch wrestling, watch sports, read comics. So we're going to be talking. We usually talk about other stuff on top of the wrestling. Now, also, in terms of the wrestling, I like to call this show the catch-all show of wrestling. Everyone talks WWE. Everyone talks AEW. But no one gives love to the other guys. No one gives love to ROH, to Impact, NWA, MLW, New Japan, stardom and that's what we're here for we don't really follow anyone in particular but it's more of what we watch and we'll talk about it we take listener requests you know if people want us to focus more on nwa we will if people want to folk uh, want us to focus more on roh we will 
Um, so, you know, that that's, that's kind of what the show is. It's the catch-all show. We talk all things wrestling. And right now, you know, we're, we're on the road for Bound for Glory. So we're going to be talking Impact. We're in the middle of the G1. We're going to be talking New Japan. GCW had a huge show over the weekend. We're going to be talking some indies. So this is the catch-all show, and I welcome everyone, and I hopefully, for those people listening on the free SNME feed, go to patreon.com slash SNME radio, sign up, one buck a week, you get a show every single day, including this one. Yes, sir. Yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. We do retro shows too, Boris. We're uh, not really secret about the fact that at the 20-year anniversary of TNA, which will be May 2022, we're going to start doing 20-year lookbacks of the old retro TNA, the first 10 to 20 pay-per-views before we inevitably quit or murder each other in cold blood. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm. You know what? I'm really looking forward to it. Look, this is the way I see it. If you and I, on our other show, on the Patreon feed, NXT Talk, managed to still talk, review, analyze NXT 2.0. We can do <laughs> TNA, my friend. I think so. I think we can soldier through. Although you know, those first TNA shows are like possibly the worst wrestling shows of all time. As bad as WCW 99-2000. The very worst. The the like the absolute dregs of pro wrestling. It was, almost, yeah, man. A, it was almost a continuation, really, of WCW. Yeah. Now... Before, I, I know we're, we're veering off subject, but did you ever order one of those TNA pay-per-views for $9.99 on Viewer's Choice Canada? I ordered specifically one. It was the X Division World Cup with Teddy Hart, where he lost, I think, in the finals, was it, to Chris Sabin? Or maybe Chris Sabin beat Juventud Guerrera in the finals? That was an awesome pay-per-view. And I think, actually, come to think of it, I might have bought one of the... Uh, the steel cage Wednesday, bloody Wednesday ones. I bought two or three. Yeah, same here. I was a sucker. And I remember actually seeing CM Punk once. It was interesting. It was an interesting time in wrestling. You know, um, what a formula they had back then, back in 2002. Like, it's crazy when you think about it. Anyways, that's for next year. Matthew, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, I uh, finally got that second dose. I was just slacking on it. Nothing uh, political or anything like that. Just being a slacker. But I finally got it. It's time to re-enter the world, Boris, a little bit. Wrestling starting back up. Comedy starting back up. I definitely want to rip a couple comedy sets here in the coming years. Get that, uh, build that muscle back up to the point where I'm actually a some way competent performer again and uh, yeah man i don't know i'm excited i'm excited to get back out there a little bit but uh yeah the uh the vaccination has gone well uh arms a little sore but i'm no worse for wear yeah no that's awesome all right so before we started recording you were mentioning that after this obviously you're going to be taking a nap most likely because of the vax <laughs> but you also bought metroid how's that going yeah, I, I scooped up Metroid because I was I Super Metroid for the SNES. It might be my favorite game or one of my favorite video games of all time. So, like, I'm a sucker for the old school Metroid games. And this new Metroid, Metroid Dread for the Nintendo Switch, is a copy of the old formula. It's the side view, really hard game, tons of weapons to find and tons of places to explore. It's, a, it's really fun. It's quite hard. I kind of suck at video games if they're not sports games. I'm not the best. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I would highly recommend grabbing that game. It's a little expensive right now at 80 bucks, but I think it's worth it. If not, wait for it to go on sale. Maybe around Christmas time you should get a $10, $15 discount on that one. Yeah, and then tomorrow, what are you going to buy? 
Oh yeah. So also for my, for my uh, duties at operation sports, I'm going to be covering NHL 22. I'm going to buy that. It uh, comes out to the public on uh, Friday, which is tomorrow uh, morning as we record this. So yeah, I'm going to buy that, play it a, b- a bunch this weekend and do a little review ski of that for operation sports, basically talking about if the last gen uh, PS4 version is worth it, how different it is from the PS5 version, and if you should spend your hard-earned money on the PS4 version of NHL 22. Right, and where can we find this when it's out? And that will be on YouTube.com, Boris. Uh, and I, it might be a written piece for OperationSports.com as well, but yeah, it's going to be on the Operation Sports YouTube page. Awesome, awesome. All right. Sunday so, or Monday, probably. Beauty. So we have a lot to get through. Let's get into the sports so let's chat some nhl yes yes sir so yeah just quickly i wanted to like talk about broad like who you're looking at the big picture of the nhl right now where do you think who do you think is going to be like the the final four kind of teams boris who do you think has got like a shot at the cup and uh is Connor mcdavid just going to score 150 points and win the mvp again yes Connor mcdavid will do that but the Edmonton Oilers will not make the playoffs. <laughs> Oof, that is harsh. I actually, I have, I've sketched out my eight playoff teams in each conference here. All right, um, go ahead. So yeah, I, I, I'll go, I'll go ahead on that quite briefly. So yeah, the Metropolitan Division. I think the Islanders finish first. Hurricanes and Capitals go two, three, and I think the two wild card teams in the East are going to come out for the Metro this year. I really do. It's going to be a toss up between the Rangers the Flyers, and the Penguins. I don't like the Blue Jackets or the Devils in the Metropolitan Division. So, personally, I'm going Islanders, Hurricanes, Capitals, and Boris. I'm putting the Rangers and the Flyers in the playoffs this year. Yeah, you know what? The Rangers, honestly, they're they're, they're going to be like the Islanders were a couple years ago where all of a sudden, they're good. Who knows how they got there, but all of a sudden, they're good. You know what it is? They have Boudreaux there now, Bruce Boudreaux coaching. He's going to open it up. They have a really good, young, talented roster. I, I see the comparison, but they're the anti-Islanders. The Islanders yeah. did it by playing that defensive shell. The Rangers are going to open it up, I Look, think. Look, the Rangers had a rough go last night, but I think yes, Washington they got is that good. I think Washington yeah. is the team that's going to come out of the East. Oof, that's bold. So in the Atlantic, I actually think the Leafs are going to win this division. I really do. I think there are some questions with Tampa. There are some questions with Florida. There are some questions with Boston. And the other four teams, God bless them, aren't that good. I'm saying that as a lifelong diehard Habs fan. I don't think the Habs make the playoffs this year. So I have the Atlantic. Leafs one, Tampa two, Florida three. Those are your playoff teams. Boston misses the playoffs. Ottawa five, Detroit six, Montreal seven, and Buffalo bringing up the caboose at eight. So the Eastern playoffs, uh, I have Islanders versus Flyers, Hurricanes versus Capitals, Maple Leafs versus Rangers, Islanders versus Panthers. That's going to shake down to be an Islanders versus Maple Leafs East final, Boris, and the Islanders are coming out of the Eastern Conference. I can see that also, honestly. The the Islanders are just so freaking good it's unreal i just you know i feel sorry for the islander fans like just give them a real home that's all this team needs at this point (laughs) i feel so bad for them too but hey you know what they do have a great team arguably the best coach in hockey good goaltending situation i trust both of their goalies although varlamov is kind of a piece of shit but uh, that's neither here nor there 
All right, let's go to the West real quick. Uh, the Pacific Division, I love the Golden Knights. I think they're going to win that division. But two through eight, it's really hard to call. So here's here's what I'm saying. I'm putting the Calgary Flames at second. I think they're built to steal games in the Western Conference with that crazy defensive roster. They got Sutter back. I think they're going to pull that classic 2004-05 Calgary Flame hockey and, uh, you know, uh, finish second in the division. Third in the Pacific, your boys, the Los Angeles Kings. Despite the injury to Sudbury boy, Quinton Byfield, I think that the Kings are a playoff team this year. I also have two playoff teams out of the Pacific from Canada, Boris. Edmonton finishing fourth, Vancouver finishing fifth. They're going to get the wild cards in the Western Conference. I have Anaheim six, and I have the Kraken at seven ahead of the San Jose Sharks, who I think might be the worst team in hockey. Yeah, right now, unfortunately, it's crazy how that team has just fallen from grace. But that's what happens when you don't plan for the future, right? And the Kraken, I think they're going to, look, I think the Kraken are going to be a good team, but not good enough. I think that they built a roster that's built, that's going to be built in the year three, year four, once they go into free agency. Yeah, they didn't, like Vegas really, I think, made a point to win now. And it doesn't feel like Seattle built their roster in the same way. Yep. They will be competitive because they, they have two good goalies in Seattle. They're going to stick in games. But at the end of the day, I do think they're going to be near the bottom of the Pacific Division. Agreed. All right. So Central, the Avalanche are maybe the best team in hockey. They're safely number one in the Central. So good. Uh, I have the Blues second and the Jets third. And those are the three teams coming out of the Central. I think it's going to be a dogfight. These teams are going to beat themselves up. Now, at fourth, just missing the playoffs, I have Dallas. Dallas, to me, is the hardest team to call in the entire NHL. They could win the Central. They could finish eighth. They could finish in the middle of the pack. I would not bat an eyelash either way. I have no idea what to make of this team. So, uh, yes, so that's uh, that's Dallas. Number five, Minnesota. Number six, Chicago. Number seven, Nashville. And number eight, if not San Jose, the worst team in hockey will be the Arizona Coyotes. They're god-awful. You're putting Nashville at seven. Interesting. Interesting. I think it's going to be a... It's uh, The Central is just so hard to sort out. Yeah, they're, do, Nashville's right do, up do, there with For Dallas. all we know, Minnesota can, like, steal it, right? Like, Minnesota can be the giants of baseball and just steal everything. I do love Kirill Kaprizov. He's sick. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so West playoffs, it would shake down as Knights versus Oilers, Flames versus Kings, Avalanche versus Canucks, and Blues versus Jets. I have that being a semifinal, the Battle of Alberta, Flames versus Oilers, Avalanche versus Blues. I actually, Boris, you said Edmonton isn't going to make the playoffs. I have them in the West final. Edmonton loses to Colorado, not because I think Edmonton is that good, just because someone's got to come out of the Pacific. And I think it's going to be Edmonton with Connor McDavid finally making a West final, getting smashed by the Avalanche. Your Stanley Cup final, Colorado over the New York Islanders in seven games. Yeah, honestly, I'd be shocked if Colorado doesn't win the Stanley Cup this year. They got to be the favorite on paper. Darcy Kemper is a really good goalie they added. They also have that Pavel Francouz or Francoz. I don't know. I forget how to pronounce his name exactly. He's a very good backup. They have the best roster on paper. I think it's the Avalanche's year to lose. So, yeah, Colorado wins the Stanley Cup. Nate McKinnon, Conn Smythe, Connor McDavid, MVP and most points. Uh, 
I like Quinn Hughes to win the Norris this year from Vancouver. And of course, rookie of the year, Boris, is the boy, Cole Caulfield. Cole Caulfield, winger from my boys, Montreal. Yeah, I can see that. I can legit see that. Yeah, dude. We're NHL's back. It's crazy. You know what was insane to watch last night? A packed house in Toronto. That was really nice to see. And I hate the Leafs. I don't hate the Leafs. I sports hate them. Good natured jabbing. I'd be happy for the city of Toronto since I live here if the Leafs won. In my heart, I would be happy. But it's fun to cheer against them. So fuck the Leafs. <laughs> you know I cheer against them. My my team's the Kings. My team's the Kings. So, yeah. It's, um, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the NFL? No, I think that t- that wrapped it up pretty good. But yeah, tough tough loss for Montreal last night. It's going to be a long season without Carey, without Shea. But they'll get a good draft pick, and they'll be back next year, hopefully with a full squad. It'll be all right. Yeah. It was awesome to see Drew Wang get a goal. That was a really nice feel-good moment. I honestly thought it was going to be an absolute avalanche, pardon the pun, for Montreal after that first goal. I wish, buddy. I wish. Because that rattled Toronto right away. Like, they did not look good for the rest of that first period almost. No. I uh, they, they were pretty shook. But, yeah, they definitely got it together. I don't love Dominic Ducharme as a coach, but he's going to try to make this team into Islanders uh, Francais. Les Islanders uh, yeah. uh, de Nouvelle-York. Speaking of shook, the Buffalo Bills are the team to beat in the AFC. It's official. They are the champions of the AFC right now, if it ended today. But they are definitely the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. And, uh, yeah, man, they're they're rolling right now. Josh Allen looking good. The defense looking nice, nice, Boris. Yeah, Buffalo. It's it's one of the best Bills teams that I've seen that I can remember in my lifetime. So this is the best Bills team, essentially, since, um, since not even, like... All around since Jim Kelly, like realistically. Yeah, this, guaranteed since the Super Bowl. And I was alive for the Super Bowl years, but I was I was like three to six or whenever it was. I don't quite remember when they made it. But yep. yeah, I uh, not uh, not was I uh, since I've been a conscious uh, football fan. This is the best Buffalo team I can remember. It is yep. exciting because there are a ton of Buffalo Bill fans in Toronto. A yeah, ton. Well, yeah, we're right there. We're 90 minutes away, right? Um, but yeah, like like realistically, like since Doug Flutie, before or after Jim Kelly and before this, the Bills have just really had a horrible, horrible go. So as much as I hate the Bills, because both you and I are Dolphins fans, you have to be kind of somewhat happy for them at the same time. Tip of the cap, tip of the cap to you, Buffalo, for sure. Yep. All right. So that was the Sunday Nighter. I, so okay, talking on the Sunday Nighter, I have a question for you. Has the league figured out Patrick Mahomes? Uh, to some extent, yeah, and that's what happens. But I think they'll regroup and counterpunch back. You know what I mean? But yes, yes, to, in a nutshell, quick answer to your question, yes, absolutely. But now it's on them to kind of regroup and to plan the next move. You know what I mean? And, and I think they can and will do that. Yep. You know who I feel sorry for? Uh, who's that? Keskese. The fans in London, England, because they were like, (laughs) can you possibly send four worst teams, two horrible games to England? So on Sunday, we saw the Jets versus the Falcons as the uh, the classic exhibition 
not even exhibition, but the classic game in London. And then this week, it's the Dolphins and Jaguars. The, Jol- the, the Dolphins minus Tua versus the Jaguars. Yeah, oh man. But you know what? Trevor Lawrence might get his first win here in, in jolly old England. And the Jaguars are unofficially the London Jaguars. They always go overseas to play in London, to play in Wembley. Do. So you know that's why. kind of their home team. You know it would have been nice to send them a – sorry, go ahead. You know why they, they always play in London, right? Uh, not specifically. Why? Because Shaw Khan owns Fulham FC. Now that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of thinking you were going down that road. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it would be nice for them to send a legitimate opponent for Jacksonville to play. But this should be a win for the Jaguars. The Dolphins but here's are pretty the thing. bad. When you were, like, let's say, because you know how there's mathematicians and statisticians and schedulers and, like, people who make schedules and review schedules and this and that. On paper, on paper, this game, Jaguars, Dolphins, Week 6, London, England, didn't look as bad as it actually was. No, this we're, we are living in the worst case scenario for this game. Tua got hurt right away, and the Jaguars have looked like crap. But uh, also, like, it, it wasn't a marquee matchup. There was a pretty good chance it could have gone down like this. But at the same time, yeah, on paper, Tua, you're thinking, oh, the Dolphins are an up-and-coming team. Tua versus the boy. Uh, it, it, it could have been really good. Hey, remember when you and I were talking about the Dolphins' D, not a euphemism, their defense? What? Where is this defense? How the hell do you lose forty-five to seventeen against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers? Yeah, whatever happened to Miami always plays Tom Brady tough. That one hurt. Yeah, yeah. I, I had them in fantasy and I dropped them. I started the New York Jets defense once this season already in the London game. It did not go well. No, 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 it didn't. But yeah, no, the Buccaneers just just steamrolled over. You know what the you know what the biggest problem with the Dolphins are? I know we're focusing on the Dolphins, but that's what happens when you have two Dolphins fans talking on the same podcast. That is the O line. The O line is absolutely dreadful, and that is why two was injured. Number one, number two, the O line is absolutely ridiculous. Not even Jim Kelly, you know, and his no huddle offense and his shotgun plays, and and not even um, you know Marino and his like you know get rid of the ball within a second could do well with this O line. Man, if you have no time to pass, if you can't establish a run game, how could you win? How could you play? You have to win the trenches, Boris. It's cliche, but you have to win in the trenches to have a chance in football. But yeah, it's it, it's an exciting week coming up. There are a couple good games. Cowboys versus Patriots is obviously like the most public game probably that you can get in the NFL. There's also a Packers versus Bears game. That's great. But I'm staring at Cardinals at Browns that could be a shootout that could be a really entertaining game yep and then like the 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 which well I was gonna say the worst game of the week is probably Dolphins Jaguars but the Texans Colts is not far behind oof yeah that's a stinker yeah there are some bad ones as well there are some bad ones the Sunday nighter looks good Seahawks Steelers Seahawks just gonna steamroll over the Steelers it's gonna be weird it's the Geno Smith era Yep, yep. And then the Monday nighter is Bills Titans. That game is actually pretty good. I think that's much better than the Sunday nighter minus Russell Wilson. Woof. Actually, the other game that I'm laughing at right now is when the Raiders go three and three against the Broncos. That, that's an interesting game. Oh yeah, the Raiders. Should we talk about John Gruden or just punt that story Ooh. forever? 
here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to say about that. If you have a corporate email account, meaning a work gives you, your job gives you an email account, don't be dumb with it. Everyone, yeah. like you have zero privacy on that account. Just remember that. Hello, that's pretty that's pretty standard. Like from your own phone from John Gruden at hotmail.com is one thing. But you're completely right. From a company email, are you are you like stupid? Like what do you anyway? I think uh yeah, I, I we can never we could only aspire to be as good as Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, but they said it best when it was just like it was just too much stuff, man. It was just it, you couldn't come back from it. Like and, and you know what the worst part or the funniest part is? All of this came out from a separate investigation. Exactly. And that's actually pretty dirty, man. It is funny like to, to think about it, but it's actually ridiculous that the Washington football team is being uh, investigated here. They're the ones with the serious scandal with, that touches on numerous so different you, like so horrible for, things. For our listeners who, who have no idea what we're talking about, can you elaborate on, on the John Gruden situation and what we're talking about specifically with the Washington football team? In a nutshell, there's an investigation going on in the Washington football team for a number of horrible things, including like sexual uh, assault and and just like uh, some very ugly and dark legitimate crimes. And in this investigation, uh, the only thing that has come out so far is that John Gruden sent some pretty horrible and sassy emails, sassy to Roger Goodell and horrible and sexist and racist in a lot of ways and homophobic and just, yeah, overall pretty ugly and he, it was just too much stuff. It was he could not come back from it, and uh, they had to pretty much part ways with John Gruden. But it is ridiculous that through this investigation on the Washington football team, the only casualty has been the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But th this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like you know, things are gonna get insane. But let this be a lesson to you. If you're gonna be a piece of shit, be a piece of shit on your personal accounts. <laughs> I think that's pretty fair to say, buddy. All right, let's move to FIFA World Cup CONCACAF qualifiers. Everyone talks about UEFA here on BAM. We talk about CONCACAF because we're both Americans who live in Canada. So let's focus on CONCACAF. Let's focus at home. Dude, it is insane. So this is now, we're now after the uh, second round of World Cup qualifiers. And the table right now looks insane here. So, just a reminder, top three teams go into the World Cup. Fourth place goes into a playoff against the Oceania winner or something or other. So, there's a playoff game for the four. So, top four make it to the next round. Top three make it into the World Cup right away. So, after six games, this is where the standings lay. Mexico, number one with 14 points. USA, number two with 11 points. And boy, oh boy, oh, Canada with 10 points. Third place. I'm loving that. Loving that. And here's the beauty part. Okay. And fourth place, um, you have Panama with eight points. So things are still tight. Things can move up and down. We still have to face USA and Mexico again. So I'm a little nervous about that. But here's the thing that I'm happy about. Canada went into Azteca Stadium, one of the craziest stadiums to ever play a game in. I've been there live. It's absolutely insane. It's intimidating as a fan. 
I cannot even picture yeah. playing there. Canada hasn't scored in the Azteca Stadium since 1980. Wow. So Jonathan Azorio, at the end of the first half last Thursday, tied it with a beautiful pass from arguably one of the best players in all of soccer right now, Alfonso Davies. Don't at me. He is. He's 20 years old, and he's just, like, just amazing. Anyways, Jonathan Osorio, Toronto FC zone, tied it. Dude, here's the thing. We could have taken the game. We could have taken the game. So I'm a little upset about that. Now, our second game was on Sunday in Jamaica, against Jamaica, obviously. Now, the issue is we were missing a lot of players. So the way that it works is that if you get two yellows in different games, you miss the following game because there's that suspension. We had a lot of players on two yellows going into Sunday. And Jamaica was just there for the taking. I don't want to talk about the refereeing, but Canada just did not perform the way that they should. So we actually drew in Jamaica, which was absolute BS. We could have been number one. We, we, well, we could have been number two in the league, in the table, if it wasn't for that game. It was a really bad game. So this made the game against Panama, for me, a must win. Now, the game happened yesterday, October 13th, in a packed BMO field. BMO field has typically been the home for the Canadian men's national team for the past, uh, since 2007, since it opened. Now, um, not all games take place here, but a majority of them do. And it's, you know, Canada and the U.S. have, have experienced this thing where it's very difficult for us to get home fans out because it's soccer. So typically, home field advantage was non-existent to Canada. Uh, let me tell you this. Last night, holy crap, it was very much home field advantage for Canada in a packed BMO field. Yeah, BMO was rocking, man. It was really awesome to see. So, yeah, this is a very interesting situation Canada finds himself in. It's a 14-game round robin, right? There are eight teams in the group. You play every other team twice. So, that's seven games uh, times two, four, or seven teams times two, 14 games. Hold on, anyway, hold on. Let me, so yeah, let me Canada, carry the one. Uh, yep, yep, you're correct. Your math works out. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, Canada's almost halfway through this thing with six games. They're looking pretty good at third place. Top three automatically move on. Uh, yeah, man. Alfonso Davies scored an amazing goal last night. Kept it in by the hair of his chinny chin chin. This kid's 20 years old. He is already the best Canadian soccer player who has ever lived. Yep. Ever. 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 He's a legend already. And he's only 20 years old. Bayern Munich right now must be just laughing at how cheap they got him from Vancouver Whitecaps. It's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, no, the game yesterday. So I was a little nervous. Panama went up early in the game, won nothing. And I'm like, oh, man, Canada's rattled. Um, because, you know, after the performance in Jamaica, you just didn't know what Canada team was going to come out. But, man, after that Alfonso Davies goal, if you haven't seen it, Go out and watch it. Even if you don't like soccer, you have to watch this goal. It is a, just a thing of beauty. He literally runs from the Canada last quarter of the field to steal a ball in the last quarter of the Panama field. It is the craziest thing you have ever seen, and I feel sorry for that defensive player. I don't know who it was, but I hope he's all right and safe back in Panama. 
Yes, he's still trying to find his cleats at BMO Field, <laughs> deep, deep in the rafters. But, uh, yeah, man, yeah, incredible performance from Alfonso Davies. And, man, Canadian women reigning, defending Olympic champions, gold medalists. And the Canadian men seem about to make the first World Cup that I – they haven't made a World Cup since in our lifetime, have they? Since 86. Since 86. So, yes, in your lifetime, no in my lifetime. Yep, exactly. Here's the thing about the standing. So, last night, Canada just ended up dominating, 4-1. Woo. Now, here's the thing. If you look at the <laughs> table – the gold difference for me is a very interesting story. Um, so Mexico has the number one gold difference with seven. Gold difference is, you know, how many goals you let in versus how many goals you score. Mexico's at seven, plus seven. USA, plus five. Canada is at plus six. We are second place in goal difference. So if we are tied with anyone, the first tiebreaker is always goal difference in soccer. So this is huge for us. This is massive for us. Awesome. It's really great to hear. Yeah, Canada is doing well, man. They just got to keep – they haven't lost. Their their record is two wins, four draws, zero losses. So they're, they're holding tight, man. They're hanging tough with the best teams in CONCACAF. But, uh, hey, it's all you can ask for. It's all hey, you can ask for. Hey, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Two years ago, two years ago, you 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 tell me Canada was going to go to Azteca Stadium, not only come from behind, but draw Mexico, could have won the game. I would have laughed at your face. Exactly right, now, man. And it's, now, it's, it's, Matt, it's, now, I expect them to win against Mexico. Because here's the beauty part. We face Mexico in November. You know where the game is? Emo? Edmonton, Alberta. Oh, man, that's going to be freezing cold Edmonton in November. That's a dirty booking. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But here's the thing. As much as it makes me laugh, our players need to adapt as well. But obviously, these poor Mexicans have probably never felt anything under 20 degrees. That's the thing. Exactly right. And, like, a, a lot of these guys play for TFC. Like, a, a fair chunk of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. They play around the MLS in Europe, and it's just crazy. But, like, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, that's how CONCACAF is taking us right now. I'm super excited. I'm super happy. And I think it is time to move on to other subjects, Matt. Yeah. Let's quickly, just very quickly, talk about Game 5, Dodgers versus Giants. It might even be over by the time that you're hearing this. We're about to wrap up the NL and head to the championship series we have the worst possible alcs red Sox versus astros no offense to our houston or boston listeners but i hate both your teams i hate them both too <laughs> the cheaters versus the cheaters <laughs> but you know what hey it's a heel versus heel program who doesn't like a heel versus heel match sometimes boris sure enough but here's yeah. the thing let's take a look at this how you feeling about game five how am I feeling about Game 5? How am I feeling about Game 5? It's in San Francisco. We've each shared a win back and forth. But I think, in my heart of hearts, the Dodgers are resilient. The Dodgers have the experience. The Dodgers are your reigning, defending World Series champs. They're taking it, baby. Oof. And you even threw in the baby. That's confidence, Boris. That is supreme confidence. So, yeah, I... Kudos to the Braves for making it out of that uh, Brewer series, and I really hope that the NL team wins the World Series. This Here's year. the thing, Matt: if it's Giants, Braves, Red Sox, Astros, those are my four most hated teams in all of baseball. 
Will you watch a second of the remaining baseball no, playoffs? No, I will not. I will not. You know, uh, if the Dodgers lose, I'm going to be maybe a little less heartbroken than when Santos Escobar got screwed out of the North American Championship at XT <laughs> on Tuesday. <laughs> that is absurd. Uh, but I, you know, personally, I'm completely indifferent and somewhat uh, warm to the Giants and uh, Braves. I kind of like those teams. Podcast over. Love Atlanta. It's over. Awesome. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had Kevin Dawson in my fantasy base. I was never a Ted Turner fan, so that's why I hated the Braves for the longest time. But this Braves team, they're like the Jays, right? They're fun to watch. They're young. They're energetic. They get along. They make baseball fun. Absolutely, and that's why I, you know I can't hate on him, despite Ted Turner's involvement. All right, yeah, Sean, I also like the Giants because I had Kevin Gaussman in fantasy. Sean, if the Dodgers lose, let's go Braves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Officially, I think we're cheering for the Braves here. If the Dodgers lose, if the I Dodgers think. lose, if the Dodgers lose. All right, so we have to quickly talk about Fury versus Wilder too, just for a second, man. That was probably. The best boxing fight that I've seen, maybe in my life, definitely in years. Uh, just an amazing fight. Third round, Tyson Fury drops Deontay Wilder. It looks like, uh oh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a quick night for Tyson Fury. And then the fourth round, Wilder knocks down Fury twice. What a comeback! And then all of a sudden, it's just pretty much the story that Fury has withstood Wilder's best shot, and Wilder had nothing left, and he slowly deteriorated before our eyes until the 11th round when Fury put him down for good. But it was a rocky fight, man. These guys were throwing bombs. They were tiring out. It was just it was a war. Yeah. This honestly was exactly what boxing needed. Boxing has been a sport of spectacles and jokes for the longest time, thanks to YouTube stars, and it's become a joke. Let's be honest, right? Um, you have your hardcore boxing fans who get it, who watch it on Showtime, HBO, wherever it's on. But the casual fan has just not been involved. But Saturday's fight, I saw people who would never watch boxing comment on how amazing that fight was. This match, Fury, Wilder, three, was exactly what boxing needed. And I hope that the bookers involved keep this up. It was such a good hoss battle. <laughs> Definitely. It was a hoss fight to the bitter end. And that's a really good point, man. I didn't even consider that. But this, if you were, uh, if you were booking this boxing fight like pro wrestling in order to save this territory of boxing, this is what you would do. This is the main event you needed to put on. Here's they the delivered. Thing. So if you were booking this, if you were booking this realistically, realistically, Wilder would have won. And then they have the the ultimate rubber match. Actually, that's a good point. That's one nitpick you would give the booking. But in terms of the actual match layout, perfect. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Dude, it was crazy. Like, both men at one point were ready to knock each other out. But both men would get that one awesome punch, but they wouldn't follow it up with anything else. And that's where Wilder fell apart. He had Fury literally on the ropes, and he just couldn't find and connect that KO punch. He just, or he, yeah. he blew up also. His conditioning just wasn't there. 
Yeah, and it's a heck of a thing too. He's a huge guy, like you know. But you, yeah, you're completely right. And that's that's on Fury. That's kudos to Fury for being untouchable, for knowing how to use his size and to keep his distance. And yeah, he's he's put on a masterclass, despite the fact that it might have looked a little sloppy or perhaps clumsy. Clumsy is the wrong word, but uh, you know, he just he put on a masterclass of of using your size in a boxing fight. Exactly, exactly it. So yeah, so 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 that that was just an excellent fight and I hope the bookers take note. Let's keep boxing pure. Let's keep the reality YouTube stars out of it. Or put both Paul brothers against Tyson Fury two on one handicap match. Go the other way with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't exactly. listen to me. <laughs> no, I, I I never do. <laughs> Clearly not, buddy. Uh, <laughs> anyway, do you want to get into the world of professional wrestlings? Yeah, let's talk about... Uh, uh, no, I'm not going to say that. All right, yeah, let's talk about uh, wrestling. So we have a lot of wrestling. So I'm going to speed things up a little more than I usually do. Um, we have ROH, Impact, MLW, GCW, and New Japan to talk about. Uh, we're going to try to get this done over the next hour because we like keeping this show at about 90 minutes because... I know people's attention span, especially for podcasts, you know, it's all it's about 90 minutes to an hour max to two hours. Max. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into some Ring of Honor. We talk about Ring of Honor every week because I am lucky enough to be the official TV reporter for Ring of Honor at SlamWrestling.net. So you can watch or read my report of Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor every week. Slam Wrestling. Net. All right, so this week it's the official introduction and build up to final battle, which is going to take place in Baltimore in December. It's typically their WrestleMania, their big event, their Bound for Glory. I can't believe I just said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's their biggest show of the year. And um, we're starting to see some of the stories lead up into that. All right, so this week we had three matches, two tag team matches, and one of the triple threat women's matches. All right, so match one was Dalton Castle and Dak Draper versus SOS. That's Moses and Khan from Shane Taylor Promotions. All right, so this match had two stories going on. Dalton Castle and Dak Draper have this weird story where Dak Draper is kind of like under the wing of Dalton Castle. I really enjoy this story, and I'm assuming this is going to lead to a one-on-one -on -one fight at Final Battle. And then you have SOS, Moses and Khan, who Matt and I speak very highly of on this show anytime that we get to watch them wrestle. Um, they're also part of the uh, six-man, the tri or sorry, the trio's champions, but they're also vying for the tag team. Interesting that they're, like, you know, that, 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 there aren't enough six man or six man teams right now or three man teams to go for the trios. So they're kind of Moses and Connor doing their own thing. Anyways, so these two separate stories are happening at the same time. And this match was a lot of fun, but the right people won because essentially Dalton Castle, Dak Draper got a little cocky um, and they ended up losing the match against a much more powerful SOS at nine minutes, nine minutes, 16 seconds. So, here on BAM and NXT Talk, we talk about our three pillars when we rate matches. You know, not only do we take the in-ring into consideration, but we also look at the 
production. We typically watch these shows on TV. So there's something to be said about the production value. There's something to be said about the commentary. You know, the overall product and presentation is what we look at. When I say three pillars, it's the in-ring, the commentary, and the production. So this match had it all. So this match, Matt, I'm going to have to give this three and a half handshakes out of five. Ooh, three and a half, a a seventy percent a B here in Canada and on BAM. That's uh, that's good. I really like Doc Draper. I think we have said this before. He is the candidate for the breakout star of two thousand and twenty-two or even twenty-three, depending on how hard they push him next year. Yep. But uh, Doc Draper's great. <laughs> yeah. So after the match, Kenny King, Dragon Lee, your tag team champs, they jump SOS, and then when. SOS get up they challenge Kenny King and Dragon Lee to a tag title match so that's that now match number two was the first triple threat match so Roxy your new ROH women's champion your Connor McDavid of the ROH women's division that's what they call her we didn't call her that ROH calls her that which I love now what's gonna happen at final battle you're gonna have two triple threat match or before final battle to determine who faces Roxy. You're going to have two triple threat matches. The winner of each triple threat match will face each other, and the winner of that match will face Roxy. So on this week's show, you had the first triple threat match, which was Angelina Love versus uh, Miranda Alize versus Willow Nightingale. This match was pretty fun. Um, the two heels, Miranda Alize and Angelina Love, kind of had a partnership throughout the match. Booking-wise... Realistically wise, that kind of doesn't make sense because it was a it's not an elimination, but I guess you do want to get rid of the other opponent, right? So uh, Willow Nightingale was your lone face. She was facing adversity. It was an uphill battle for her and the heels. They were healing and eventually they healed on each other. They turned on each other and this gave Willow Nightingale the advantage she ended up grabbing Angelina Love and she did a small package roll up for the win at 8 minutes 32 seconds now part of me wants to take off a whole point because of the roll up but because of the story that they were telling where the two heels were healing against the lone face it worked you know she got the sneaky win so again Matt I'm going to give this 3 handshakes out of 5 Nice. Okay, so that is a C, 60% here on BAM Sports and Entertainment. Still a good match above average. You yep. Now, you're going to laugh because the main event was another tag team match, and it was Bandito and Ray Horse versus the OGK, <laughs> Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. Horace, your most hated act in all of Ring of Honor. We always say, you're boys, even though you hate them so I cannot stand the kingdom. I just don't get them. I think, anyways, I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it, my friend. Anyways, so here's a story, the greater story in this match. Um, you know, you have Bandito, who is your champ. He's waiting to see who's going to face him eventually for at final battle. Um, and then you have Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, who beat the Briscoes at the last pay-per-view. And they're trying to stamp uh, their passport into final battle. For a tag team match. But if you remember earlier in the show, SOS challenged Kenny King and Dragon Lee to a tag team title match. So I can see this possibly turning into a triple threat match because at the end of this match, it 
indeed, sadly, unfortunately, was Matt Taven and Mike Bennett who won the match. Wow. Over your boys, Bendito and crew. Man, that's sad. Uh, but these guys are going to continue to be pushed in Ring of Honor as long as they're there. So... Yep. What can you say, Boris? Uh, what can you say, my friend? What can you say? So next week, we actually are seeing the tag team title match. It's Kenny King and Dragon Lee versus SOS for the tag titles. And then this match is a match that I'm looking forward to. Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham, Tracy Williams, and Rhett Titus versus Taylor Rust, Eli Ism, Joe Keys, and the world-famous CB. Nice. A little eight-man tag action. Love me some world-famous CB. Yep. Oh, and I guess I should rate that previous match. I was going to ask. I'm going to give it a three handshakes. It was a fun match. I hate to admit it, but it was all Bandito <laughs> and Ray Horace. It was all Bandito and Ray Horace. I believe you. I 100% believe everything you said. <laughs> all right. So that is ROH. Let us move into some impact wrestling. So the road to Bound for Glory is heating up, and I'm not going to go through results, but I'm going to talk about, like, the major storyline, and that is um, Josh Alexander's uh, quest to face Christian Cage at Bound for Glory for the Impact Championship. That's the main story that they're telling throughout Impact right now, and man, oh man, has it been a pretty fun story. Um, you know, I've really been enjoying it a lot. It's, uh, I think... I really do think that this is Josh Alexander's turn to win that championship. What do you think, Matt? I know you don't watch the product, but, you know, just, just knowing how wrestling is, knowing Christian Cage isn't even an impact wrestler, what do you think? Yeah, exactly right. And just having seen Josh Alexander so much as Canadians who live in Toronto, Boris, we've seen a ton of Josh Alexander on the Canadian indies. Basically, 75% of the indie shows I've ever seen have had Josh Alexander on them, and he always delivers. He's really, really good. I've always wondered why he hasn't gotten a shot, and it was kind of based on the fact that he didn't, he was more of like a straight up wrestler, like a, a Steiner Brothers style, like headgear, old school wrestler. And he didn't really, uh, I don't know, he didn't pop in the way that WWE might want, but I think he's incredibly talented. I'm so glad he's getting this uh, push. And yeah, for sure. On paper, it looks like he's definitely the favorite to win this title. It's, he's got to be. Like you said, I'm not watching the show, but yeah, of course he's got to win this thing. No, exactly. The other main storyline is Mickey James and Deanna Peraza for the knockout championships. This story has been going on since the summer, since Mickey James came. They did the respect angle, then they did the turn angle when DePrazo basically uh, sh um, turned on Mickey James. And we've been going and heading towards Bound for Glory with those two. Uh, another story that's uh, quite interesting is Rhino and Heath Slater, or Heath as they call him an impact against most likely Eric Young and um, another member of Violent by Design. So I'm, I think it'll probably be uh, Joe Doring. We'll see. It's kind of funny that Rhino and Heath Slater kept the tag team going, but they did have chemistry. They are a pretty fun act, so I can see why they're still a, a tandem in impact wrestling. Yep. And then another major storyline is the X Division title tournament. Uh, Josh Alexander. Uh, dropped his title in order to face Christian Cage. So right now there is a tournament happening, um, you know, and 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 we have a bunch of people here. So we'll have Rohit Raju, El Fantasmo, Brian Myers, uh, Matt Cardona, uh, Willie Mack, 
and a bunch of other people in this tournament to get the X Division title. I wonder if Matt Cardona wins it and does some kind of like similar gimmick where he's having like instead of not having death matches, he's not having X division style matches and he's just working headlocks and stuff. Exactly. That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. That's really legit what I'm thinking. Um, but yeah, so next week we're going to talk a little more impact because next week, next Thursday is the go home show for impact before bound for glory. We're going to try to line up a couple fun interviews. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think uh, next week, I can't believe we're going to do this, but I might be a little more impact centric. Yeah, well, you you go for it, buddy. I am not diving into TNA until May 2022. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, if you get the chance to watch the uh, Knockouts Knockdown show from October 9th, have, it was a fun little tournament. Um, the Deanna Peraza match was absolutely insane. It was so fun. Mercedes Martinez. Mercedes Martinez won the hey. tournament. You did it. Yep. <laughs> the hardest name to pronounce in all of sports entertainment. No, but uh, yeah, man, that's really good that her career has rebounded because she got released like, what was it? Three weeks, four weeks after suffering a pretty bad concussion in a, a WWE ring. It was a week or two. Gross and just a greasy, grotesque move by WWE to do that. And I'm so glad that she's landed on her feet and has having not only like like healthy enough to wrestle, but is having success in the wrestling business still. Good on you, Mercedes. Yep. Another match from this Knockouts Knockout show that you should watch is the actual Knockouts Championship match, which was Deanna Perrazzo against Masha Slamovich. Awesome, awesome match. I'm just going to rate this match Four out of five TNAs. Wow, that's a that's a great match, a must see. So that's that's a huge rating there from you, Boris. That's eighty percent in Canada and here on BAM. Yep, exactly, exactly. All right, so that is Impact. Let's move on to MLW Major League Wrestling. We're gonna focus on last week's Fightland special on Vice, which aired after Dark Side of the Ring. Very interesting episode of Dark Side of the Ring, but we're going to focus on the fight line results. There were two matches. Okay, so I'm going to be 100% honest here. The production and the layout of this show was horrendous. Horrendous. Oh, you don't like to hear that. What was wrong with it in your eyes? All right, so there were... I don't care the fact that there were two matches. ROH does great work with a one-hour show. WWE, NXT, UK, amazing job with a one-hour show. This, yes. they were. I don't know what they were trying to do. I don't know what they were trying to do. The first match was fun. The second match was great. The production was horrible. And by that, I mean camera angles were missing spots. What gets to me the most is that this was recorded the previous Saturday. So they had days to edit this. If those are the best angles that you can find for these matches, shame on you. Yeah, that's I understand what you're saying. And maybe it's just yeah, poor like uh production, poor camera work, maybe not even poor, but just rookie, you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I feel you. I would rather see just like you just shoot the ring with one camera and not do camera cuts at all, just so you don't run the risk of missing anything, you know. It's exactly. Like um yeah, I, I just don't understand. Like NWA does a pretty good job of doing this. Uh, other promotions do a pretty good job of doing this. MLW really needs to get to this. Like, stop 
with your overproduced wrestling shows. Let's get back to basics because it hurts your product. Because if this was the first MLW show that I watch, because it was on Vice, I would not watch MLW again. Oh, that's sad. That's like the uh, that's that's the that's the, the one thing you don't want to hear, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm kind of cheering for MLW. I am too. I, there's am something too. about them that I like. And but I'm being realistic. I'm being honest here. Like the show was Amen. good wrestling wise, but everything else was hurt. Now you know what the worst part was in the middle of the show. They have this panel talking about the industry, and it was Alicia Tout with Dave Meltzer, Raj Geary, Andreas Hale, Emilio Sparks. And they were literally talking about the industry. They were talking about subjects like, will WWE be sold and stuff like that in the middle of this MLW special. Yeah, that's that's an odd choice. I kind of don't hate the idea in a vacuum, but I don't know if it was placed in the right spot. I didn't see this, obviously, but I read about it a lot because Dave Meltzer was on it. And it's pretty interesting. Like, it's an interesting idea. So I don't know. I don't know if I would scrap it entirely, no, no, but no, no. maybe put thing. it at the start of the show or the end of the show. This should have been a YouTube special as a pre, uh, pre-show pre type thing. This should not have been in the middle of the show. I think that the actual subjects and like the comments were, were valid and they did a good job, but the placement of this panel was horrible. As you're trying to promote MLW on a new channel, you have, you're talking about the industry with these random people and Dave Meltzer. But yeah, I could see I could see the thought behind like also trying to draw in hardcore fans who would be interested in that kind of talk, right? But yeah, at the at the end of the day, you only have so much time to sell MLW. You might as well use all of it to sell MLW itself. Yeah. All right. So the MLW World Middleweight Championship, um, Tajiri won this match, dude. Eris, Aramis, amazing. Myron Reed. Awesome, but Eras and Aramis were the MVPs of this match. They had a match a couple weeks ago on uh, Fusion Alpha, really good. But this match was great. Tajiri is your new MLW World Middleweight Champion, and that was a pretty fun match. I would give that match three and a half major leagues out of five. Nice, 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 nice. 70% Charlie Sheen percentage, Boris. Yep, and then your... Main event, two undefeated wrestlers. You had Alex Hammerstein versus Joseph Fatu. Uh, Jacob Fatu. Jacob right? Fatu, sorry. But yes, yeah, no worries. But yeah, man, oh, so do you think, well, first of all, get into the result, but yeah, there's a big picture question here I want to ask you. So hold on. So this was a title v. title match, no DQs, Jacob Fatu versus Alex Hammerstone. I don't know why I call him Stan Steen. Um, Alex Hammerstone. So this match was interesting. What's your question? So yes, this match ends with Alex Hammerstone Hollywood Hulk Hammerstone, as it is, uh, winning the title and becoming the new champion of Major League Wrestling. Yes. Do you think that we're building up to Jacob Fatu maybe going over to WWE or perhaps NXT 2.0? I really do. I think that's the that I think that is the ultimate destination for him. Um, you know, he he's the, the bloodline. You know, 
pun intended at this point. I think that's like really where he's going to end up. Uh, you know, I think especially with the other Fatu kind of getting the the nod in NXT 2.0, um, you know, weeks after he started at the Performance Center. I think it's just it's just yes. the destination for this family. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I think that that's where he ends up going. At the same time, he's talked about that. He just likes doing his own thing. He likes representing his bloodline in other um, other companies. That's interesting. That's that's pretty cool. Maybe maybe it's New Japan or AEW or something. But I do think it's time for Jacob Fatu to take another step because ultimately, as much as we like MLW and are cheering for it, it is an indie. It is a minor league. Ironically, major league wrestling is forever going to be a minor league promotion. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So so overall, this match was it was pretty good. Um, you know, for it being a no DQ match, I really thought Contra Unit was gonna do more, but they didn't. Uh, so so that was that. Um, weird ending, but it was what it was. It was a hard hitting hoss battle. Alex Hammerstone is your new double champion. He is both the world heavyweight and open weight national champion. Yes, but he has since. Uh, vacated, I believe, the yes. Open National Weight yep. title, right? Yep. Yes, he has. All right, so that is MLW. Let's. I want to touch on GCW because we okay. had an insane match with John Moxley and Nick Gage. Holy crap! It was insane. I uh, I did not watch this. I heard that it kind of looked like maybe Nick Gage got hurt in yep. the match near the end. Yeah, it, it really did. It, it really did. Like, uh, they were just going at it. Uh, John Moxley ended up winning that match. Um, it, I, death matches I find hard to rate just because, you know, there, there's just so much about them. Uh, the crowds are always hot. The production is always shit. The commentary is meh. Um, but, you know, GCW does a pretty damn good job. So I'm going to have to give this match, you know, three and three quarters. Um, Oof. Death matches out of five. <laughs> syringes darts to the back out of five yep yep pretty much and now here's the thing your internet title guess who won and guess who is your new champ uh it's got to be cartona yep it is yeah that's yeah. awesome i like that a lot that's 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 a clever little thing and uh how did you feel about mick foley's involvement and perhaps uh how do you feel about the hammerstein ballroom show are you excited for that one i am so dude any show at the hammerstein ballroom is awesome uh i think gcw is at a point where they can run that here's the thing honestly between mlw and gcw i would have to pick gcw right now i don't blame you i would go the other way just because i can't do the death matches all the time when it's like done sporadically, like one Matt Cardona with a really good story, I can deal with it. But yeah, we watched a full MLW show or a full, sorry, we watched a full GCW show for the podcast a couple months ago. And I actually said never again, yeah. ne not because like, I, I just, I just can't stomach it. It's just too much darts in the back, too much death match for me personally. Exactly, and, and I agree with you. It is a little much, but this show didn't have as much violence. Um, there was more wrestling, like Leo Rush was on the show, right? Matt Cardona, he's done with death matches. So uh, this match had a, or this show had a good balance between death matches and actual non. It, it kind of felt like a pro wrestling gorilla PWG show. That's awesome. I can deal with it. To me, if you have one death match on your show, great. If you have two death matches on your show, you're a death match promotion, and I don't want to see it. Pretty I don't much. want to see more than one. 
Yep, exactly. So we're going to cap it off that. Matt, you're going to take over as you usually do. You're going to be talking all things New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax. Yes, sir. Actually, quickly before we do, I did want to ask you about Dark Side of the Ring because you brought it up. I, I am from Sudbury, Ontario. I used to live five minutes away from the police station that this guy tried to blow up. I had no idea about Bruiser Bedlam, a.k.a. Johnny K-9 at all. I learned a lot, and it was so crazy. I've been to the Solid Gold Strip Club, Boris. It's, Same here. It's since closed down. Yes. Isn't it crazy, though? It kind of, like, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane what this guy would manage to do. How he literally lived this double life of being a pro wrestler and then being a a, a mobster. Yeah, basically a, a like high level uh biker and yeah. then like a patsy for other high level bikers who yeah. like went to jail and yeah, they what a a crazy and it was it's funny because the people close to him were like, Oh, he's a teddy bear. He never ever could have done anything like to kill anyone or like to actually like he was just in with the wrong people. And then the uh, the prosecutors were pretty certain, like, oh, no, he is involved with murder. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, his ex-wife was interesting when, when she was talking about, like, he would never kill someone. And then literally the next shot was, he did it. We just don't have enough evidence. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, that was a very interesting. The last couple uh, dark sides have been awesome. I also loved the FMW one. That was one of my favorite episodes to date Same. ever. Same. You know what? Here's the thing. We need a break from cancel culture <laughs> attacks on people. Not to say that that's what they're doing, but you know what I mean, right? Like, where I, I like learning about the industry. I like learning about these people. And I think, you know, I had this conversation with Jason Agnew, and I think he said it best when he said, you know, it's tough to watch when it's people who are still active in the industry versus people who are kind of done, like the Macho Man, like uh, the K-9, um, like the FMW, even though they're back-ish, right? But, like, it's it's yeah. easier to watch and get these stories of shitty people about people who are out of the industry versus your Ric Flair's, your Tommy Dreamer's, you know, people who are very active in the industry. 100% agree with you. I think the key to Dark Side of the Ring is they need to have some element of fun in it. Like, and they can't always do that. Like, the Owen Hart episode, it's not very fun. The Chris Benoit episode, it's not very fun. Those are awesome episodes, too. But if the whole show was like that, it, would, it wouldn't have lasted this long. They also need the Brawl for All episode and the Herb Abrams episode and the FMW episode. And for uh, God bless him and, like, sincere condolences to the victims of the people who he may have killed. But this Johnny K-9 episode was so insane that there was an element of fun to it, you know? Yeah, police stations were being exploded. I know exactly what you mean by fun, not fun like hoo ha ha, just like fun as in this is insane. Like it's so insane, it's entertaining. Exactly right. Entertaining is probably a significantly better word than fun. Yeah. <laughs> there. Tonight's episode is going to be very interesting because it's someone who I think doesn't get enough credit in the industry, and that's Luna Vachon. Yes, yeah, and this one, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see that balance of like, I hope it's not just a, a purely sad story, but she's a very interesting character, and again, like you said, I don't know much about her personally. I don't think she's gotten nearly enough pub in this wrestling business. Yep, and it, it'll be interesting, kind of, if they talk to like Alondra Blaze and people like that, uh, Medusa and and whatnot. You know, uh, if they're gonna touch on any stories with Bam Bam Bigelow and uh, Gangrel, obviously, he was married to her, so. It'll be an interesting yeah. one. 
hundred percent. All right, buddy, let's roll through the G1 climax. All right, starting with night 12, October 8th, 2021. Match number one, Yoshihashi versus Tamatonga. Put a star behind Tamatonga's name for a little later in this program. But coming into this match, both guys struggling. Yoshihashi pins Tamatonga in this match with Karma. It's his finishing move. It's a pump handle half Nelson driver. 13 minutes and 14 seconds. This was your standard New Japan opener. Good match, though. We're going to go... We're going to go three climaxes out of five, 60%. It's a C. Yep, that makes sense to me. Here's the thing. Yoshihashi, most improved wrestler in 2020, 2021. He's a good shout for most improved, man. He's having a really good tournament, and I'd have to go back and watch a couple other matches to fill out my wrestling observer ballot properly. But, yeah, I, I think he's a good shout for most improved. And you know who, who's up there as well? I wouldn't say second, but up there, maybe top five. It, that's Tamatonga. Tamatonga's high up there too. You know what? I would say MSK, Boris, and Wesley specifically might be one of the most improved. I I, I saw a couple of their Rascals matches, and they weren't this good in TNA. Agreed. Agreed. Anyway. Agreed. Uh, so next match, we had Hiroki Goto versus Chase Owens. Uh, coming into this match, both men were struggling, but Owens is coming off of the biggest win of his entire career, shocking Hiroshi Tanahashi in the opener of the previous B-Block show. So, of course, Hiroki Goto wins in 12 minutes and 41 seconds with his finishing move. Here's the problem with the G1, Boris, or perhaps more specifically how Ghetto books the G1, but... but Hiroki Goto did not need this win. Would have been so much more impactful for Chase Owens to get the W in this meaningless match, fresh off of his biggest win of his career. Exactly. Dude, exactly, 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 exactly. Chase Owens, I feel like he's kind of like the the Baltimore Orioles of the G1 right now, where he's kind of like, he's, he's playing spoiler is exactly what I mean. Yes. You know, and, and the story that in my mind they were telling with Goto was beautiful. He's losing every match. What's next for him after the G1? But now that he's getting wins, who cares? Yeah, he's just some goofball who had a mediocre tournament, as is Chase Owens. All so right. this so is this before is before really- we move on. Before sorry, sorry, before we move on, when we're done this coverage, ask me at the end of our coverage how we should imp- how we could improve the G one. Yes, good call, Boris. You have a really good big picture idea. Definitely remind me. We'll do that. But yeah, so this was better than the first match, but my lord, it did the wrong guy win here. So I'm going three and a half minus a half star for the cop-out ending. It's three climaxes out of five, 60%. It's a C still, above average match. But so we're just going to have Owens and Goto just have mediocre tournaments, not memorable at all. Cool. Cool, or not cool. or not be able to tell a story afterwards. Yeah. Brutal. Next match, Sonata versus Jeff Cobb. Boris, this is how you Jeff Cobb. This is how you G1. Cobb wins clean in the middle with his finishing move. He is six for six. Six clean wins. Six finishing moves. Best match of the show by a safe distance so far. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not the biggest Sonata fan. I still think that him and Evil should re-team, but this was probably his best match of the tournament. I would uh I would co-sign that, Boris. I think you might be on to something. We're gonna go three and a half 
climaxes for this one. 70%. It's a B in Canada. Cobb wins with a tour of the islands in 14 minutes and 17 seconds. You know what was the most impressive part of this match? The fact that Cobb treated Sonata just like a just like a cruiserweight. Yeah, he definitely threw him around like he was Rey Mysterio. Yeah, yeah. he didn't yeah. lawn dart him, but he threw him around. <laughs> yeah, thankfully there wasn't a garage door or a big truck around. Anyway, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Evil was our next match. Coming into this match, Evil sits alone in second in the group. He has one loss, so he needs to win out and hope that Okada and Cobb stumble. This was like a joke that wasn't funny. And then they almost went far enough that it became funny again, but they didn't quite do it. They were half pregnant with this match. If they're going to do this, they should have just went all the way and gone 20 minutes. I'm actually saying this about an evil match. They didn't do enough bullshit. I think they should have gotten even wackier with it. It was just, it wasn't quite long enough to redeem itself. It was just on that borderline. So this is a slightly better version of your typical evil match. Evil wins with his STO called Everything is Evil in 17 minutes and 22 seconds. This match bothered me on so many levels. I was ready to turn off the show after this match just no. because, dude, honestly, I just, I've just i had it with the shenanigans. And this is the thing. The shenanigans get amplified G1 time because they are fighting wrestling every other day. This is just too much. It was too much. And like you said, they just should have kept going. It should have just been a hardcore match at this point. Like, whatever. All a Bullet Club should have just come out. They should have undertakered Tanahashi. Like, it was just <laughs> BS. Um, and, yeah, I, I do believe that the wrong person won. Like, what is the story that they're telling with Tanahashi now? <laughs> What's Marty Jannetty doing? Can he be risen to the rafters and Tanahashi be resurrected? Like Royal <laughs> Rumble 1994? <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I completely agree with you, though, buddy. Uh, the, the story with Evil is that he cheats all the time. Cool. So, yeah, I, I did think this was a slightly better version of your typical Evil match. I would go as high as three out of five, 60% climax percentage. But I understand that you hated it and would rate it like one or two points worse. Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, this one for me would be a two right under the Mendoza line just because it's way too much. At, at six in the morning, this is the last thing I want to be is frustrated with a wrestling show from Japan. <laughs> I can understand that. It's a rough start to your morning. Okay, next up, the main event of night 12, Okada versus Tai Chi. Okada pins Tai Chi with the Rainmaker in 23 minutes and 10 seconds. Yet another very good main, main event from somebody who is still, Boris, arguably the very best wrestler in the entire world. That's Okada, not Tai Chi. I thought you were talking about Tai Chi. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> no, but, the, but Tai Chi is probably the most improved wrestler from 2019. Dude, it's insane how many, like, how popular Tai Chi is among certain circles. It's crazy. I, I like his, like, weird RPG heel singing gimmick. It's kind of fun. But, yeah, so this was the second best match on the show, in my opinion, to only the Jeff Cobb match, but right near that level. So we're going to go three and a half climaxes, 70%. Be in Canada, Boris. That's night 12. All right. Moving on to G1 Climax night 13, October 9th. The opening match was Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kenta. Awesome match, Boris. This is the best match that we're talking about today on BAM. Yeah. Yeah. This match, honestly, this match would probably, we need to do a list at the end of the G1, like our top five matches, and this might be top five for me. 
Uh, remind me, Boris, because I have a top 10 just locked and loaded and waiting <laughs> for you, buddy. Love it. But uh, so, yeah, this is this is comfortably in the top five of that top 10. Uh, the only thing that hurt it slightly was if you look at the placement on the card, coupled with where they were in the standings, Kenta was in fourth. He needed it badly. Zack Sabre Jr. essentially controlled his own destiny. If he won, he would win out and he would win the G1. So it was pretty clear Kenta was going to win this match, which he did with a go to sleep after some minor shenanigans in 22 minutes and 24 seconds. Still Absolutely a great match. Highly recommended. Four and a quarter climaxes. Safely a 85% in Canada. Boris. Yep. Agreed. Agreed 100%. This is by far Kenta's best match in a long time. I don't know. Kenta, for me, he's just been like, you know, me, I don't want to say mediocre or average. He's, he's above average, but his matches haven't stood out the way that they did when he got back to New Japan. Um, but this match was awesome. And again, Zack Sabre Jr., I am sorry for ever doubting your awesomeness. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. All right, coming up next, arguably the worst match of the entire tournament, Yano versus Yujiro. It went 10 minutes and 23 seconds. There was handcuffs, bags over heads, dudes hiding under the ring. Wacky bullshit nonsense, especially after the previous match, which was just pure, awesome pro wrestling art. This was garbage and went seven minutes too long. We're going one climax, big fail. Handcuffs, bags over the head, uh, kendo sticks. Sounds like a night out with Boris. <laughs> that is absurd. <laughs> That's why we don't go out too often, buddy. Uh, number <laughs> the next match, Shingo Takagi versus Tangaloa. I really like this match. You know what? This was so Loa was coming off the best match of his career versus Kota Abushi, and I think this might have been the new best match of Tangaloa's career. Back to back, he had them, but Shingo, of course, wins with his finishing move, Last of the Dragon, which is a wrist clutch fireman's carry driver. Boris, 19 minutes and eight seconds. The champ is here. Yep, Shingo keeps impressing me. Really enjoy most Shingo matches, and it's funny because like Joe Ronaldo said that like, he doesn't quite get Shingo, and I can see it. Like I can see why people don't quite buy it. But, you know, we are comparing him to arguably the, you know, the the legends among legends of New Japan wrestlers. So New Japan is in this weird place of trying to build up new stars, new legends. And I'm not saying that Shingo is one of them, but I, I kind of feel like he sometimes gets a bad, um, you know, a bad, he gets a bad rap just because of who he's being compared to. But this G1, honestly, so this is my point. This G1, he's, he should be proving to everyone that he does belong up there with them. I think he is. I think he is. Yeah, you're completely right. Uh, there was a spot in this match, though, where uh, Tangaloa almost killed poor Shingo. Yes. He was doing like yes. a power slam off the second rope, and he dropped him. Could have been much worse than it was. Yep. All right. So, yeah, that that is three and a half climaxes out of five. 70% for that one. It's a B. And I do think it is the new best match of Tangaloa's career. Yep, agreed. Uh, the main event of night 13, Ibushi versus Great Okan. Okan has lost three in a row and plummeted down the leaderboard. Ibushi done the exact opposite and is actually the first to 10 points in the group, but he is in second place at this moment by way of his head-to-head -head loss to Zack Sabre Jr. But Ibushi quickly rectifies that, pinning Great Okan with a Kamigoye, 20 minutes, 22 seconds. This was a really good match. Okan's ground game is awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okan, it's, you know, I honestly, it depends who he faces uh, 
that's kind of how I rate his matches. Like, I'm, I'm still not completely sold on him, but he's had some pretty good matches. But then you take a look at who he's had a good match with. Ibushi, for example. Like, come on. How can you not have a good match with Ibushi? Exactly right. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it is what it is, Boris. Uh, so, G1... So, yeah, that is... That, oh, sorry, we got to give a rating. So, that is... Uh, Three and three quarters, I think it was the best match on the show. We're going, no, sorry, the best match on the show was easily Zack Sabre Jr. But yeah, three and three quarters, also a very good match, 75%. It's a B plus in Canada. Kota Ibushi, it, the story here is he's slowly working himself back into God tier shape, Boris. Yep. Yeah, they're telling a great story with Ibushi, and it makes sense. Dude comes back from a neck injury, so and and sorry, not only neck injury, but then leaves again because of COVID and other uh, respiratory issues. So it makes sense that you know he came off at this slow start, and now he's picking up steam. Yep. A million percent makes sense. All right, so next we had a show. This was kind of just there. Wasn't the best show, but it was still, it's G1. It's still pretty solid. G1 Climax Night 14. This was October 12th, 2021. So quickly, Taichi versus Tamatonga. Tamatonga wins this one. Stun gun, 12 minutes, 58 seconds. It was a pretty standard match, but I did like Taichi a lot in this match. Kicks Tamatonga, says, show me your fire. Kicks him again. I, I love, I'm liking Taichi a lot in this tournament. Yeah, but it's funny because like after he said, show me your fire, he oh, he showed him the fire and won the match. <laughs> he did indeed show him the fire, and Tamatonga wins this match. We're going to three climaxes out of five, 60%. It's a C. Next up, Yoshihashi versus Sonata. Oh, man. So coming into the day, both guys are tied around the middle. It's a loser leaves town match. It's also a winner leaves town match. They're both out of the G1. But yeah, so this was your standard G1 match. Really good work. Went seven to ten minutes too long. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And this is where my theory or how I would fix the G1 would be amazing. Actually, yeah, you want to hit us with it right now? No, or do you no, want to save gonna, it till the we're end? We're going to save it till the end. We're going to save it till the end. <laughs> I, want really listeners to, I want listeners to listen till the end. <laughs> what are you trying to say? No, I feel you. Uh, so, yeah, this match, Mendoza line, average as average gets two and a half climaxes out of five. Next up, Okada versus Chase Owens. Uh, so, yeah, Chase Owens, fresh off the biggest win of his career, lost to Goto inexplicably in his previous match. So, hey, this one's probably a foregone conclusion, right? Which it was, Okada submits Chase Owens with his money clip, except it was like a Crippler crossface version of the money clip. That actually looked nasty. I really like yeah. the finish here. Now, Matt, Matt, my question here. If, Go if the right person won against with uh, Chase Owens and Goto, meaning Chase Owens, that means he would have beaten Goto, he would have beaten Tanahashi, and he goes into this match with Okada, hottest streak of his career. The story behind that would have been amazing. It would have been so much better than what we got. I couldn't agree with you more. It would have put a little kernel of doubt in this one, but alas, there was no kernel to be had. But yeah, this is still the best match on the show. Three and a half climaxes out of five, 70%. Yep. Uh, next up, we had Goto versus Evil. If you sit down and close your eyes and picture a Goto versus Evil match, you would picture this match. As far as Evil matches go, highly watchable. But if you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times, Boris. Yep, exactly. That's it. That's exactly it. Like it's, it, And we have seen this a thousand times in the respective tag teams. Yes, sir. So Evil pins Goto with everything is evil in 14, 16, 
Three climaxes out of five, 60% C, above average wrestling match, one that you'll never, ever have to watch. Main event of night 14, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jeff Cobb. Coming into this match, Jeff Cobb, undefeated, controls his own destiny. Tanahashi having a great tournament in the ring, but pretty mediocre on the on the leaderboard. At this moment, he was 3-3 three and three with six points. And just like the previous, but the match is better. If you picture Tanahashi versus Jeff Cobb in your head, you got this match. Cobb pins Tanahashi, Tanahashi clean. With the tour of the islands, finishing move, 19 minutes and five seconds. Man, Jeff Cobb is being booked like the ultimate monster, and I'm loving every second of it, and this match was great. Yeah, see, I was I was thinking, like, would I call this great? I was pondering right on the line of great, and I, I decided, you know what, if I'm pondering, then I don't think it was. So I get three and three quarters. Yep. Uh Climax is 75%, right on the borderline of great, and maybe I underrated it, Boris. No, 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 no. I, you know what? It, it, like, this is, it, it's it's your system, how it's your heart of heart feeling in terms of where you feel, how you want this match to go. I thought it was great, but that's just because, like, for me, I'm a Jeff Cobb mark. I used to watch him on Slam all the time, and, you know, seeing these guys move up and do amazing things in the greater world of professional wrestling just makes me so happy. So I'm, a, I'm like, dare I say, I'm a Jeff Cobb mark. <laughs> That's fair enough, man. Fair enough. Hey, he's Matanza Cueto. How could you not like him? All right, next up, G1 Climax Night 15. This was October 13th, 2021. First match, Tomohiro Ishii versus Yujiro. Yujiro, the Tokyo pimp, he's in last place, but at least he has Peter. <laughs> Yes, at least he has Peter. <laughs> yeah, so this was, Ishii made a whole meal of food out of this one, man. They really had you believing that Yujiro actually could win, actually had a chance over Ishii. He hit Ishii with everything he had, but Ishii kept coming and kept coming and then beat him clean in the middle with his move. Very good match. One of the best I've ever seen Yujiro have. The story of this G1, these guys are having career best matches. Ishii pins Yujiro with the Brain Buster, 17 minutes even. Yep, yep, this match, classic Ishii. Man, again, Ishii, just like, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. Absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, we're going three and three quarters for this one. 75% right on the cusp of great again. Here's something that was bad. Kenta versus Tangaloa. Yeah, these guys had zero chemistry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like a Bullet Club v. Bullet Club match. Kenta pins Tangaloa with the schoolboy Boris in 22 minutes in 12 seconds, this ain't it, chief, as yeah. they say. Here's the thing. Do you remember the Chase Owens-Tamatonga match? Uh, yes. The exact opposite of this match. Like, <laughs> exactly there was, right. like, it just didn't work. They didn't, like, if you're going to do a, uh, you know, Bullet Club v. Bullet Club, a faction v. faction match, there needs to be a good story behind it. And this not only did it have no story, the wrestling was shit, the chemistry was shit, everything about this match was shit. Went too damn long, yeah. So, uh, decent effort, I guess. It wasn't an abomination, but we're going to go two out of five. It was a fail, below the line. Uh, next up, Toru Yanu versus Zack Sabre Jr. Coming into this match, Toru Yanu is inexplicably still alive at four and three. Zack Sabre Jr. has lost two of his last three matches. He's cooling down, but he needs to get this win. Please, oh, vegan atheist God, let Zack Sabre get this win. 
<laughs> Praying to the same. <laughs> Daniel Bryan, sing God. <laughs> uh, so Zack Sabre Jr. does thankfully submit Toru Yanu with an arm bar assisted by a pair of handcuffs yep. in six minutes and 42 seconds. Arguably still five minutes too long. Now, this is actually, this is a ton of fun. Am I wrong in saying this was the best Yano match so far? Uh, because of Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, one of the best Yano matches, if not the best. We're going to go as high as three uh, climaxes out of five, 60%. Very watchable, pretty good wrestling match. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Main event of this show, Shingo Takagi versus the great Okan. So somehow the Okan has fallen below Toru Yanu coming into this match, which is always <laughs> sad. And he continues to fall as Shingo pins great Okan with his move, The Last of the Dragon, 25 minutes and 50 seconds. Very good wrestling. Like You can't fuck with this main event, man. It was really, really good. In a vacuum, it may be great, but this is the problem with the G1. Sometimes these matches just fail to stand out. We see so much wrestling. It's the gift and the curse, man. It, it really is, and that's exactly it. It's a gift and the curse. That's the best way to put it. Um, you know, and this, you know, when we went into this G1 coverage, I said, you know, the reason why I love the G1 is because we get to see a bunch of one-on-one matches. Then every single year, it's kind of like winter in Canada. I remember in the middle of the tournament, we got to see way too many one-on-one matches. <laughs> yes. There's so much snow left until February it goes. Yep. But uh, if we're lucky, February, geez. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Shingo's awesome. This was a great match. We're going to go three and three quarters. And, and I may be underrated this one too, but it's just hard for it to stand out. 75% B plus uh, in Canada. All right, Boris, we're almost done here. This is the final show. This is night 16. This is this morning in uh, North America, October 14th, 2021. Opens up with Tai Chi versus Chase Owens. Both guys mathematically eliminated. I actually quite like this match. I love Tai Chi's selling, although it might have been real pain that he was in if this is a real shoot rib injury. Yeah, here's the thing about this match. Mathematically eliminated, I went to the bathroom had a coffee, came back, match was still on, kept walking around, came back, match was still on. You know, I just, and it, okay, realistically, I watched it all, but you know what I'm trying to say. I had zero interest in this match because they're both mathematically eliminated. This is the issue with the G1. Let's remember this. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's okay for you to take a walk and grab a coffee, Boris. That's why I'm here, homie. But yeah, the, the typical New Japan opener, yeah, not bad. We're going to go three climaxes out of five. 60%, it's a C. Moving on, Goto versus Sonata. Not bad in any way. Nothing you'll remember on your deathbed or even at the conclusion of this show, Boris. Nothing you'll remember. Nothing you'll bounce your grandkids on and tell them about. It was a three out of five wrestling match. Sonata does pin Goto with an O'Connor roll. Yep, yep. This match was okay at best. Yep, okay at best. Next match, man, this one came out of nowhere to really impress me. Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Yoshihashi. Coming into this match, both guys mathematically eliminated. But you know what? They have pride. They both want to finish strong in this G1. And God, Tanahashi is still so great. As much as the crowd could possibly have been into this match, they were just clapping and clapping and really enjoying what they were got here. So this wasn't quite as good as the Okada versus Yoshihashi match, but it's still high on the list of the best Yoshihashi matches of all time. Yeah, agreed. Tanahashi is just so freaking good. It's hit the charisma on that man. He just oozes it the same way Razor Ramon oozes machismo. Tanahashi oozes charisma. A hundred percent. So I would go as high 
as four climaxes out of five for this one. 80%. It's an A, and it's a recommended match here at BAM. Go watch this Tanahashi versus Yoshihashi. Please do. Please do. Awesome. All right. Next match, Jeff Cobb versus Evil. Ah, Evil sinks Jeff Cobb down to his level. And, uh, of course, Jeff Cobb eventually pins Evil with the tour of the island. 16 minutes and 43 seconds. But, boy, it was a slog getting there, Boris. Yeah, this match, you know, this is probably the worst Jeff Cobb match of the tournament. Um, and it, I just don't like it. It's like, you know, the, the issue, this is the issue with Evil, Bullet Club, and a bunch of other people. Like you said, they bring their opponents down to their level. And it's just so yeah, unfortunate. It, it's so unfortunate because Cobb was having just an amazing, not to say he's still not having, and this ruined his tournament, but this was by far his worst match. Um, and I feel like right now, as we're heading towards the final nights, they should be having hotter and hotter matches, better and better matches, just really to cement their spot in the finals of the G1. I get the booking here, like Cobb overcame evil shenanigans and no one else could. But yeah, that was it was annoying. Having said that, I still wasn't terrible. I would still probably call it above average. I wrote down three climaxes out of five, 60 percent. And let's stick with it, Boris. It's a C. But uh, I don't ever want to see that one again. Agreed. All right. The main event of this morning's show. My God, what an upset. I guess in retrospect, you could you could kind of see the coming, but I get I bet you nobody predicted it. Tama you said it Tonga. best. You said it best. In retrospect, looking back, thinking about it, I'm like, okay, it makes sense. But watching it live, watching it live, live, I was in shock and awe. Go ahead. So Tomatonga pins Kazuchika Okada with a goddamn double underhook pile driver, Boris, clean in the middle of the ring, 24 minutes and 45 seconds. So yeah, Tonga reversed a move into his finisher, the stun gun, and then he just made up a new mega death kill finisher on the fly. Maybe Tonga's used this move before. I haven't seen him use it before. But uh, I guess the Tonga push is on, buddy. It seems to be on. I'm telling you, I think they're pushing him because he's going to be crossing the Pacific very soon. I think you're right, man. Can you name me a better Tama Tonga mash in, your, in his entire life? Honestly, behind this is probably the Chase Owens match, in my opinion. There you go, right? So yeah, find me. Seriously, listeners out there, please find me a better Tama Tonga match. Singles match. I think, singles I think, match. Singles match. Singles match. Even then, even then, but yeah, singles match specifically. But I think Okada has, just in this tournament alone, now been part of the best ever Yoshihashi match, the best ever Tamatonga match, and he could be more than that too. But at least those two for sure. We're going four climaxes out of five for this one too. Recommend this one. It's an A. Okada versus Tamatonga, the best match of Tamatonga's career. By far. By far, in my opinion. All right, let's get to the results. Let's get to the results, and then we're going to talk about how Boris could make the G1 more fun. Yes, okay, so it's uh, quickly go through this. G1, night 17 on October 18th. The first match is Ishii versus Yano. They're both eliminated, doesn't matter. The second match, Shingo versus Yujiro. Shingo wins the group with a win here and a loss from both Abushi versus Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. So he needs Kota Ibushi and Zack Sabre Jr. to lose, and he needs to win versus Yujiro for Shingo Tagagi to win the group. Next match on the card, we have Tangaloa versus Zack Sabre Jr. So Zack Sabre Jr. wins the group. 
with a win from Tangaloa and a win from Kota Ibushi. So Sabre needs Ibushi to beat Kenta in order to win the group. Okay, Kota Ibushi versus Kenta. Here we go. There are some simple scenarios. Ibushi wins with a win here and a Zack Sabre Jr. loss. If Zack Sabre Jr. wins the previous match going into this match, Kota Ibushi cannot win his block. I think. I'm 90% sure about that. Kenta wins the group with a win versus Ibushi and a loss from Shingo Takagi because Kenta beat Zack Sabre Jr. straight up. There is a forbidden scenario, Boris, with all three of Kenta, Shingo, and Zack Sabre Jr. tied with 14 points. Um... Because Shingo would have beat Kenta, lost to Zack. Zack would have beat Shingo and lost to Kenta. Kenta would have beat Zack and lost to Shingo. So if that happens, due to, I believe, the tiebreaker is match time. Total match time in that scenario. I can't find a primary source for that other than Kevin Kelly saying it on the Night 16 show October 14th. Anyway, so... In that scenario, it looks like Kenta would probably win the group unless Zack Sabre Jr. wins a match in like three seconds. But uh, it, lots of shenanigans can go through. I have this all written down on paper over at, well, on the website sportsfap.com if you want to see it broken down in print. It's a little easier to comprehend. But yeah, lots of scenarios going into night 17 for the A block. The B block is much more simple. Whoever wins Okada versus Jeff Cobb wins. Yep, yep, pretty much. All right, man. So that is that. Let's first, Boris, do you want to do top 10 matches real quick? Uh, sure. Let's do top 10 matches. Then let's do current rankings. And then let's do my my uh, my pitch to, to the powers that be at New Japan. Yes. Oh, well, the standings we can do quick. We don't even need to go through everyone. But yeah, the important ones, Jeff Cobb. In, oh, so sorry. Block A, we have Kenta, Kota Ibushi, Shingo Takagi and Zack Sabre Jr. all tied at 12 points, 6-2. Those guys are mathematically still in it. Ishii, not in it. Yano, Great Okan, Tangaloa, Yujiro, and of course Tetsuya Naito, who forfeited. They're all out. Block B, Jeff Cobb has 16 points, 8-0. Okada has 14 points, 7-1. But if Okada beats Jeff Cobb, they will both have 16. They will both be 8-1, and one, but Okada will have the tiebreaker, so he will win. So whoever wins Cobb versus Okada wins B block no matter what. Yep, pretty much. Top 10 matches, Boris. Coming at you quick. Uh, number one match of the tournament still is Shingo versus Zack Sabre Jr. from night three. That match was awesome. Number two, Shingo versus Tomohiro Ishii from night one. That was the match that Dave Meltzer gave five and a half stars to. So... That's that's the one that Meltzer thinks is the best match on the show on the tournament so far. Ishii versus Shingo. Match number three, Okada versus Tanahashi. 14 from night two. This was their 14th singles match together. It's always great. Number four, Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. from night 13. Awesome match. That's the one that we covered in this podcast. I'm ranking it the number four match in the tournament so far. Number five, Okada versus Yoshihashi. Best match of Yoshihashi's career. Number six, the Cruiserweight Classic Final. Kota Ibushi versus Zack Sabre Jr. Night five. Number seven, Kota Ibushi versus Shingo Takagi. Awesome match from night nine. All of those matches, four and a quarter or better stars. Now, so uh, 
Match number eight, the Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. match. We loved a lot on last week's podcast. That match was awesome. Number nine, Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. Tetsuya Naito's only appearance in the tournament. It was still a really good match. And number 10, Kota Ibushi versus Tomohiro Ishii from night three. And again, if you want to see this all written down in print, check out sportsfap.com. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so let's get into how I could make the G1 better. I love the G1. I absolutely do. Like I mentioned so many times before, it's the one time of the year that we see a lot of one-on-ones. I love this round-robin tournament. I love that, you know, a lot of these matches are meaningful. But as the tournament goes on, the importance of certain matches get less and less. You heard us talking today about mathematically eliminated matches, and I made a point to talk about one of the matches that were two competitors were mathematically limited and I was just completely drawn out of the match. Hence, therefore, my, like, you know, my, my, my interest in the match and sometimes even the show can go down. So this is in what, in my opinion, New Japan needs to do in the G1 to keep every single match relevant. And I'm stealing this from soccer and I'm going to specifically call out the premiership. I know a lot of other countries do this but let's talk about the premiership because that's what i watch the most of but in the premiership in soccer you have your champion who is top of the table now and it's always fun to watch the race for top of the table but you know what's sometimes more fun matt well what's that boris The race for staying alive, the race for staying in the premiership. So in the premiership, they have this um, this thing called relegation, where the bottom three teams are booted from the premiership and they go to the next level, the championship, you know, the league underneath the premiership. And the top three teams of the championship come up into the premiership so you have this relegation promotion concept how would you put this in wrestling now this is what i would do so you have the winner of the g1 fantastic he gets the briefcase now in each block you have your bottom wrestlers the way that you make every match relevant is that the last place or the second to last and last place aren't allowed in the g1 the following year Therefore, you are literally fighting for your spot in the G1. I love that idea so much, man. Great idea. The only problem is, and we saw it this year, what happens in case of a star getting injured? Because Naito now would not be allowed to compete in next year's G1. I think that you make that you make it very clear that if in case of injury, you know, uh, you know, you have to work your way into the G1 the following year. You're not completely uh, eliminated from the G1, but you have to have a good winning record throughout the year to get into the G1 or from the time that you're back. So, and this, and in my opinion, exception. and in my opinion, this makes wins and losses matter more throughout the year. 100% agree with both of your points, man. It would make the it would make the tournament more interesting, and it would make the rank and file matches during the year a little more interesting too. So, I love that idea, man. I think it's unofficially in there like they do kind of sort of 
cut the last place guy fairly often, but also a story they like to tell is someone wins zero matches and then they win one and then they win two and then they win three. So it's not always that they cut the last place guy, right? So I think if they make it a rule set in stone, that's a great idea, buddy. That's the thing. Make it rule set in stone. Announce it. Talk about it so much. You can make amazing stories out of it. Like, will you know, can you imagine this here with... Um, with Goto, is he done? Is he out of the G1 next year? You can tell an amazing story with that. Um, yeah, 100%, man. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that would be, that's a perfect use of Goto's talents at this time. I, I like where your head's at, man. Please, New Japan, think about it. Exactly. So that is our coverage of New Japan. That is our coverage of wrestling. That is our coverage of sports. Man, we went through a lot. It was a lot of fun chatting. But before we go, if you are a a listener coming from the free feed from Sunday Night's Main Event and you like this show, I'm sure you're going to like the other shows because we have the midweek markout where Jason and Mark talk all things raw. Eventually, we have NXT talk. We have BAM. We have the old fucks talking Rampage and Dynamite. And then we have the Smack Daddies talking SmackDown. And you get the main show, the syndicated show, early on Sunday with a little extra podcast at the end. It's a lot of fun, and it only costs you $1 per week for one show a day. Absolutely. And we're going to be keeping it locked here. We're going to have coverage of Crown Jewel next Thursday for you. The Saudi Blood Money WrestleMania, Boris. Yep. That's a thing. And also... Be sure to go ballergear.ca for all of the Sunday night's main event merch. <sighs> Matthew, we covered a lot. We watch way too much wrestling. Believe it or not, <laughs> we do have lives outside of wrestling. Yeah, let's go attend to those now, buddy. Exactly. I'm definitely going to uh, do some yeah, do some talking to human beings once I leave here. But it's very nice to see you, buddy. Good talking wrestling. Thanks for everyone who listened. We really appreciate it. And, uh, Rest in peace to the great Brody Lee. Aye, aye, 